Every week of this series, we've uh, seen videos of people who are part of our dream team and serving. And man, I love that one to see all the different students. And we have so many students who serve here. I got here this morning, and one of our dream team members, he's on the setup team, and uh, his like nine, ten-year-old son was helping put out communion, and his daughter. And I mean, it's just awesome to like see people engaged. And uh, and I just, you know, there's a stat out there that says if you want your kids to be engaged uh, in church as they go off to college, then they need two things. Number one, they need an adult in their life other than their parent who's engaged in their life, uh, who's helping them spiritually. And number two, they need to be serving in the church. Uh, so parents, if you want a, kind of a, the best possible case scenario for you and your family as your kids go off to college, then make sure those two things are happening. I just want to say to all the parents and all the students who are serving, uh, man, thank you. Uh, parents, thank you for allowing us to, uh, to help your kid get engaged and, and involved in different ways. And I'm just so proud of the students that serve here. Uh, I want to start off today and just give uh, a quick shout out. Uh, October is Pastors Appreciation Month, and I just want to say publicly to all of our pastors, thank you. Uh, they work so hard uh, to serve and to care for this body uh, and our community as a whole. Uh, and so do me a favor and join me in celebrating our pastors here at Front Range. I'm so grateful for them. Unbelievable team that we have. Uh, Jackie just talked about the Halloween bags, the kind of reverse trick-or-treating thing that, that we do. And uh, that's next weekend because next weekend's Halloween. It also starts a new series next weekend for us that, that we call Relational Vampires. And what do vampires do? They suck the life out of you. Uh, what do relational vampires do? They're people in your life that suck the life out of you. Uh, so we're going to look at how uh, God, what God's Word says about those types of people. And maybe you are a relational vampire. Hopefully this series will help you as well. Uh, but man, don't miss it. It's going to be really, really strong series. I'm really excited about it. Uh, today we're finishing up a series we've called We Are Front Range, where we're looking at the values of our church. Uh, we've been looking at each value every single week, and uh, today we're looking at a value that really drove us to start the church. It's really the, the value that was the impetus for us moving here and being a part of what God's doing in our community. When we moved here, we had a couple people tell us, don't try to build community, don't try to talk to your neighbors, like people don't want that here. And I thought, man, that's weird. Like, that's strange if that's true, but I don't believe that that's true. I believe that internally God has created all of us to for relationships, and he's created all of us to get to know others in our lives. If you're an introvert like my wife, maybe it's just a few people. If you're an extrovert like me, maybe it's a whole lot of people. Uh, but God has created us for that. And so this value has driven us to start the church. This value also will impact almost every area of your life. It will impact uh, your social media usage. Uh, it will impact the way that you engage neighbors. It will impact your experience around the Thanksgiving table coming up in, in just a few weeks. It will impact the way that you discuss and interact with people who believe differently, differently than you, who believe differently about masks or vaccines or, or the school board voting or any of that stuff. Like this, this value is crucial for almost every area of our life. The value is intentional neighboring. Intentional neighboring. Now, what is an intentional neighbor? An intentional neighbor is someone who seeks to show others the love of God. To seek, seeks, a person who seeks to show people in their life, whether it's an, uh, a, a literal neighbor, whether it's a coworker, a family member, or somebody else they're, they've engaged with, uh, that to, seeks to show them God's love. It comes from Jesus' two great commandments, love God with everything that you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Uh, so it's scriptural. Uh, it's a calling of ours to be intentional neighbors. But the natural question that I then ask is then, okay, then who is my neighbor? Like if I'm called to love my neighbor, then who is my neighbor? I think that's the natural question. It's the question that Jesus asked when he's kind of talking about this subject. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. Uh, It's going to be on the screen. If you need a Bible, we have them at our connections tent. Or you can download the Bible app as well and get it there. But Luke chapter 10, Jesus is about to tell us a story. But but before he does, he's set up with a question. Verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? So there's this expert in the law. What's the law? It's the over 600 Old Testament laws that the Jewish people were to follow. So this guy understood and knew every single law and how it's supposed to apply. And he says, but teacher, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does it say in the law? You, you know it. You're the expert. Tell me what it says. Verse 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So he says the two great commandments. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify. What what was he trying to justify? He's trying to justify what are the, what, what's the length that I have to go to in loving people? What's the limit to my love? If you're going to call me to love my neighbor, that's fine. I can love my neighbor, but then who is my neighbor? Because there's certain people that I'm okay loving, and there's other people I'm not okay loving. There's some people, if they look like me, and they act like me, and they voted like me, man, I can love those people. Those people are easy to love, but it's the other people. The people that act differently than me, that don't believe the same things as I do, that don't practice the same. Man, I, don't, I can't love those people. I mean, this was a popular belief back then. The belief was that, that you are called to love those who are like you, who look like you, who act like you, who believe like you. But for somebody who doesn't, if you have somebody in your life that doesn't believe the same things or doesn't act the same way, then you're not called to love them. You don't have to love them. In fact, there's a, a wisdom literature back from that day called the Sirach, and the Sirach explains it this way, give to the devout, but do not help the sinner. So help those who, who are good people, who are like me, who are like you, but to the sinner's to those who are doing different things than you, to those who believe differently than you, you don't have to help them. So the lawyer says, I need to know what's the limit of my love. How far does my love have to go? I think this is a question that, that we've been asking as well. And it's a question that many people in our culture have been asking, how far does my love have to go? What is the limit of my loving other people? Do I have to love others who infringe upon my freedoms. Like I can love people as long as they're not telling me what to do or what not to do. But once you start telling me what to do, man, I don't, I don't wanna love you. Do I have to love the people that are like me? That's easy. I can, I can love the people that look like me, that act like me, that believe the, the same things about sexuality, who believe the same things about politics, who believe the same things about mass and vaccines and all of, I can I can love those people. But can that be where my love stops? 
This is what this, this expert is asking. Where can my love stop? Where does my love, where, where can I go? Okay, I don't have to love those people. I believe this is a question we've been asking and I think we've been answering it on our, on our own. I think there's very few people who have been asking that question, like, who do I actually have to love? And we've gone, well, what does God's word say? Because we don't like that, because it'll tell us something different, because it's easier not to love people who are unlovable. It's easy not to love people who are different than us. So as long as I don't have to love them, then I'm okay. I'm kind of justified in my, the limit of my love. But when we begin to ask where does my love stop or where can my love stop? And we answer that by with the people who look most like me. Then we begin questioning people's motives. We begin responding in anger. We begin having judgment toward people. We lack compassion toward people. We begin isolating ourselves. And then ultimately, we have broken relationships. And so you have this expert of the law who knows the law. He knows what it says to do. And Jesus says, I don't care what you know. I care that you love. I don't care how much you know, but I care how much you love. And so Jesus kind of flips the script right there. Instead of saying, hey, well, uh, who, who is my neighbor? Jesus says, let me, let me get you to ask a different type of question. The question that Jesus wants us to ask is, what type of neighbor will I be? Instead of saying, well, who is my neighbor, we should be asking, what type of neighbor will I be? And then he tells a story to kind of illustrate his point. He tells a story. And you've probably heard the story before. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And uh, he tells a story about this guy. And he says the guy is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And to go from Jerusalem to Jericho, there's one main road. And it was a pretty treacherous road. It was actually called the Way of Blood. Because there were so many times where robbers would hide out in the caves and, and they would just wait for people to walk by. They would then jump them, steal their stuff, beat them up. Many people would die on the way of blood on this journey. So he says a guy is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho on this, this way of the blood. And, uh, and all of a sudden he gets beat up and he's stripped of his clothes. Everything is stolen from him and he's left there to die. And then all of a sudden... A priest comes onto the scene. A priest is kind of like a pastor. So as the audience is hearing Jesus tell this story, they're probably like, oh, man, cool. A priest comes, a pastor comes onto the scene. Surely, I mean, he's got to be a good person. He's going to do something. And the pastor goes, no, that's not for me. And he says, and then a Levite comes onto the scene. Oh, Levite. Levite's kind of like, a, like an elder in the church. Like this elder in the church, man, it's got to be a good person. They gotta be a good person. They've gotta like love God and love others. They gotta know what they're doing. So the audience is hearing this like, sure, the priest might've been having a bad day, but the Levite is finally gonna step in. And the Levite goes, nope, not for me. And then it says a Samaritan comes onto the scene. Whoa, a Samaritan. The audience doesn't like that a Samaritan comes onto the scene because the Samaritans, they were half-breeds. You see, back in 722 B.C., the Assyrian army came in and they, they captured the northern kingdom uh, of Israel, and uh, so the Jewish people, and they took them all into captivity. And when they took them into captivity, they realized, well, there's nobody there to take care of the land. So they decided to get a bunch of Gentiles, non-Jews. They got them from all different nations and they brought them to this, this one place. Well, God wasn't pleased with that. And the Bible tells us that, that there were actually lions sent to this area. And, and because of that, the people were like, uh, what's going on? Do we not please the God of this land? What's going on? So as they begin to do research, they're like, we got to bring some of the Jews back into the land. So they bring some of the Jewish people back into the land. The Jewish people, they begin to intermarry with the Gentiles, the non-Jews. They begin to have kids. Now they're half-breeds. 
They're half Jews and half Gentiles. And the Jewish people, the full-blooded Jewish people, hated the Samaritans. And the Samaritans hated them. In fact, they hated each other so much, when a Jewish person would go from one part of the kingdom to the other part of the kingdom, to the northern part, the Samaritans were right in the middle. They would actually choose to go a three-day journey around so they wouldn't have to engage them at all. So they wouldn't even have to have a conversation. So they wouldn't even have to see a Samaritan. So Jesus says a Samaritan comes up to the scene. The audience is going, well, I mean, we know what the Samaritan's going to do. That's a half-breed. I mean, they don't, they don't worship like us. They don't believe like us. Like, of course, that, that is, they're not a good person. But then Jesus says that he took pity. The Samaritan took pity. And, and other translation says he had mercy. What does it mean to have mercy? It means you have such compassion for someone that you choose to act upon that compassion. So how did he act upon that compassion? Well, he bandaged him up. And then he put him on his donkey. He took him to an inn where there was a caretaker. He paid for all of his, all of his wounds to be taken care of and all of that. And, and he paid so much, there was the equivalent of about $1,000 in today's money. Then he says to the innkeeper, hey, I'm going to come back. Whatever else you spend on this guy, I got it. I'm going to take care of it. Now the audience must be going, what? The, the, the priest said No. The Levite said no, but a Samaritan? Jesus, what are you, what are you saying here? Jesus is saying the, the guy that you didn't expect to be the neighbor was a neighbor. Look at verse 36. He says, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, he couldn't even say it. He couldn't even say the Samaritan. He couldn't even say the half-breed. He just says, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and be like the Samaritan. What? Now, what do we not know? What are we not told? What we're not told is we're not told any details about the victim. We know about everybody else in the story, but we don't know any details about the, the victim. And I think this is Jesus' way of saying, I don't want you to know anything so you can't justify anything. I don't want you to know his race, his worship. I don't want you to know his beliefs, his voting history, none of that. I don't want you to know anything because if you know anything, if, if I told you this victim was a Samaritan, well, of course the Samaritan's going to help a Samaritan. Or this victim was whatever. We don't know. We don't know anything about him except he's in need. We also don't know why the two religious guys didn't help. Were they scared? Maybe. I mean, this was a treacherous road. They, the guy is, they've come upon this guy who's been beat up. I mean, if you think about it logically, like maybe the robbers are still in the area. If, they, if I stop and help for a while, maybe the robbers come and get me. So maybe they're scared. Maybe they notice some, some differences. Maybe they know, man, this guy doesn't act like us. He doesn't believe like us. He doesn't worship like us. Maybe they thought, you know what, it's going to be too costly. I mean, I'm just a priest or I'm just a Levite. I don't have enough money to be able to care for this guy's needs and to take care of all that's going to be needed. I just don't have that. Maybe they were just too busy. They're like, man, I don't have time for this. In fact, not, not only that, but if they're a priest and a Levite, then if they come upon this guy and he's bleeding and they touch him, now they're unclean. So now they have to go through a cleansing process, which usually is about seven days. So now they're going, man, I don't have time for this. I got too many other hurting people that I can take care of. I'm justified in not loving this person because I'm so busy doing other things for God. We don't know. What we do know is that there was one 
person who was the intentional neighbor. And it wasn't the person you thought. It wasn't the person the, the audience was thinking was going to be the person Jesus would say, go and be like that person. Be like the Samaritan. Jesus is saying that you got to flip the script. You can't ask who's my neighbor. you got to ask what type of neighbor am I going to be. And the good Samaritan was an intentional neighbor. So how do we become intentional neighbors? If we want to be the type of people that, that people go, man, that person truly loves people. And how do we become intentional neighbors? Let me give you three things. Number one, you got to remember what God has done. you got to remember what God has done. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. To be an intentional neighbor, you got to remember what God has done. Well, in the Old Testament, God set up this system. It was a command for the people. It's called gleaning. Gleaning is found in, in Leviticus 19, Leviticus 23. Uh, and it's this idea that when you, as, as a Jewish person, uh, when you had a, a field or maybe a vineyard, God said, when the, harvest times come, when the harvest time comes and you go to collect your harvest, leave a portion of your field ready for, don't touch it. Like, you don't get to collect that. Leave it for others. Well, what others? And that's my field. That's my vineyard. Who am I leaving it for? You're leaving it for the widow. You're leaving it for the foreigner. You're leaving it for the broken, the lost, the hurting, the needy. He says, so when you go to collect your harvest, you can have everything in your field or in your vineyard, just not this portion. That's for those you don't know. That's for your neighbor. That's for those who may not think like you, may not act like you, may not worship like you, but I want to put that set, that, that portion of the field aside. Why? Number one, to care for people, of course. God wants us to care for other people. God wants to use us to care for other people. But also, it was God's way of saying, remember what I've done for you. Look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. It says, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. He says, treat the foreigner with care because remember, at one point, you were a foreigner. At one point, you were trapped in Egypt. At one point, you were a slave. At one point, you were broken. At one point, you needed restoration. You needed redemption. At one point, you were exactly like the people that you're saying, I don't know if I want to help them. And I need you to remember what I've done for you. That while you were a captive, I saved you. I provided for you. I took care of you. And I eventually set you free. I need you to remember that. Because you, when you remember what God has done for you, it changes how you respond to others. And God's saying the same thing to us. I need you to remember that once you were captive to your sin, at one point you were lost and disconnected from God. At one point you were broken and in need of help. At one point you felt lost. At one point God showed his faithfulness to you. And for most of us, it's time after time after time that he's shown his faithfulness. And when God has shown himself faithful, it should change how we respond to others. It should change how we treat others. So to be an intentional neighbor, you have to remember what God's done for you. That if you can remember, man, God took me out of this place of brokenness and of hurt and of, of lostness and slavery and all of that. And he brought me over here to this freedom then I need to love people that may still be caught in captivity, that they don't believe like you, they don't act like you because they're still stuck in captivity. 
I need you to love them because I loved you. So to be an intentional neighbor, you have to remember what God has done for us. Number two, you got to be interruptible. You got to be interruptible. I take the story and I put myself in it. And I ask, what would I have done? What would I have done if I was walking on the way of the blood from Jerusalem to Jericho and I come across this guy who's been beaten and stripped of everything? What would I have done? I would love to think, man, I, I, w- I would be the, the good Samaritan. I'd be the guy that would go, man, I'm so sorry, bandage him up, put him on my animal, walk him to the end, take care of his. I would love to think that, but I think I'd probably, more times than not, fall into the priest and Levite category. And I think, well, I don't want to really help this person because maybe I'm in danger. Maybe somebody's going to beat me up. If I spend too much time here, then the robbers are probably near, so maybe they're going to come for me or... And I, I don't want to help this person because I don't have the money to help this person. Like I got my money. I know where my money is going to go. I've budgeted my money and all of that. And, and, and we just talked about budgeting a few weeks ago and all that stuff. I don't have extra budget to help this person. Or maybe I'm just too busy. It's more than likely what it is for me. I just got too much going on. I got too many places to be, too many people to see, too many people to help. I can't help the person right here. I struggle with being interruptible. I struggle with being a person that says, God, use me any place, any time. In fact, just recently I was, I was on an airplane and I was flying southwest because I get to choose my, my seat. And so I chose an outer seat, leaving the inner seat open, praying to God no one will sit there. Because I'm just going to be real honest. Being a pastor and getting the question, what do you do, is awkward. And on a plane, it either turns into a four-hour counseling session or it turns into a Oh, one of those. And so I'm not very interruptible. So a guy comes up, he goes, anybody sitting there? Like, I want to lie to him, but I can't. No, it's open. Go for it. So he sits down. We don't don't have any conversation at all. Plane takes off. We're heading to our destination. I open up my computer. I'm doing work. I'm writing a message. I'm responding to emails. And I can see him looking over. You you ever seen that on an airplane? Person's like, like, bro. Just ask me what I do. Just say something. But like, no, you're just going to snoop on me, whatever. And so he's doing that. And eventually I look over and he's asleep. I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for that. So we land. It's three and a half hours later. We land. And right when we touch down, he looks over at me. He goes, hey, hey, Ernest. I was like, you know, we're wearing masks, so I can't tell who's who. And he introduces himself. And it's another pastor that I met a long time ago. And he said, man, I was looking at your computer. I said, I know. And, uh, and. And I, I saw, you know, you write an email. I was like, oh, it is Ernest, blah, blah, blah. And he said, man, I, I'll just be real honest. I'm sorry to talk to you earlier, but I just need to sleep. I said, oh, man, when you need sleep, you just got to go to sleep. Thank you, God. Thank you. And I'm ashamed to say that that was my first reaction. I was like, God, thank you that he didn't start talking to me three and a half hours ago. I'm not interruptible. I'm not a person that says, God, all the time, use me. I'd love to be able to say that. But so many times I just get stuck in my zone, in my lane, doing my thing. And if you fit into that, great. But if you don't, I don't want to be interrupted. When that guy said that to me, I felt like the Lord said, Ernest, I want to use you. But you have to be interruptible. You have to be available. 
God can never use someone who's unavailable. Ever. So if you're like, man, I haven't been used by God in so long, first place I'm looking is me. Am I allowing myself to be interruptible? Am I allowing myself to see the guy on the side of the road and go, okay, I'll stop. Even if it's going to cost me money. Even if I'm too busy. Even, even, even. To be a good neighbor, to be an intentional neighbor, you have to remember what God's done. You have to be interruptible. And lastly, you got to go the extra mile. you got to go the extra mile. Have you ever heard that phrase before, go the extra mile? I mean, all of us have. We've, we've probably thought it. We've probably said it at some point. Maybe you've tried to teach that principle to your kids. Don't just do the bare minimum. Go the extra mile. Did you know that it's scriptural? That it actually comes from the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. This is Jesus speaking. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. What in the world is he talking about? Like when was the last time somebody forced you to go a mile? Right, like my fifth grade uh, PE teacher made me run a mile. That was the last time somebody forced me to go a mile. What is he talking about? Well, in that culture, the Roman soldiers, it was a part of their law that as they're walking through a town, if they see somebody and they want you to carry their stuff, they can make you carry it up to a mile. So you could just be standing there on the street watching these soldiers go by and they go, hey, you, come carry my stuff. And you have to carry it up to a mile. You don't have to go two. You don't have to go five. You have to go one. And Jesus says, but I got something else for you. Don't just go one. Go two. What was he saying? You've got to be willing to go the extra mile. Do more than what's just acceptable. What would have been acceptable in this scenario? If the guy would have come along and seen the, the guy on the, on the side of the road, the Samaritan would have just said, you know what? Man, I, I've got some gauze and some neosporin. I got my jacket. He go, man, a, take care of yourself. Nobody would have been like, what? Why'd that guy do that? He should have done so much more. But like, wow, that's a really nice guy. He gave up his jacket. He like, that, spent, that cost him some money. Or no one would have questioned if he would have, like, built a little, a little thing to attach to his animal and, like, hey, you ride in this, this little sling thing, and, and I'm going to be on my animal. No, he didn't do that. He put him on the animal. Or, or he could have just taken him to the end and said, you know what, uh, you deal with this now. But, no, he paid for it. Or he could have just paid for it, and that would have been the end of it. But he said, no, no, I'm paying for it, and if there's any other charges, I'm going to pay for those as well. He went the extra mile. How do you and I go the extra mile? How do you and I care for people in our lives? Not just what the bare minimum that we can do, but how do we allow God to use us and the lives of others? This is a big topic for us as a church. Like we talk about intentional neighboring all the time. This is like one of our core values and why we exist so that we can love God with everything, but then that's displayed in our love for others. How do we become an intentional neighbor? How do we put this into practice? Well, there's a lot of ways. I mean, we've given you guys a lot of, I mean, the Halloween bags are one way. I mean, as you go trick-or-treating, your kids can do reverse trick-or-treating. And in that bag has a little love and action card that tells people about Jesus. There's coupons to local businesses. And, I mean, who doesn't want coupons, you know, to be able to save some money? And so that's just one small way that, that we try to love the neighbors and put into action this intentional neighboring idea. Something else we're doing is this love and action campaign. We're starting it today, and it's going to go six weeks. If you have this thing on your seat, uh, go ahead and, and pull that out now. Uh, some of you, you've already looked through it. You've already read every detail. Others of you are like, I had no clue I was sitting on that. Go ahead and take this out. I'm going to walk through this with you. This is something we're doing for the next six weeks. 
Next six weeks into a church, we're saying, hey, how can we be better neighbors? The first page is a letter from me. You can read that later. It's boring. Uh, and then the second, second one, no, it's not actually. Well, I don't know if it is. The next one is local. So these are all the partners that every dime that we raise, listen to this, every dime that we raise, we're giving it away. It does not stay here at Front Range. We're giving it away. And so we're showing you the places that we give, we're giving our money to. That every dime that's raised during this campaign is going to go to these partners. you got local partners. So you can see the do- adoption and foster care, the Douglas County Schools, Wellspring, Benevolence, Front Range Food Pantry. You can find out more information about those on our website. You go to the next page, you've got Global. These are our global partners. So you have Bread of Life Mission, uh, which is in Kenya and South Sudan. You've got Convoy of Hope. So like when, when the tragedies happen in other places or, or hurricane hits or whatever, and we tell you guys like, hey, we've already responded. It's because we're partnering with Convoy of Hope. You've got A21 who's trying to end slavery and sex trafficking and all of that. You've got Beyond the Bike. So you can read about our global partners. Then you go to the next one. It's church planting. You know, we had over 20 organizations that helped us start as a church. Did you know the number one way to reach people in our culture is by starting a new church? The number one way to reach people who are disconnected from God, far from God, is starting a new church. So we want to be a part of helping start new churches. We've helped start 29 churches so far. These are a few that we want to help start or that we want to continue help in their mission. And so you can look at those. All of them are in Colorado except for Reality Church, who's in Miami. The reason why we picked that church is because we, before we moved out here, our wife and I were deciding between two cities, this one and Miami. We chose this one, but we still have a love for Miami and impacting that city. It's the most unchurched city in our country. So we want to impact that place. And we found an incredible church and pastor to be able to do that. Then you can go to the next page, and that's opportunities to serve. We don't want to just raise money. We want to use our hands, our feet, our voices to be able to care for people. And so if you're looking for a place to serve, we've got Castle Rock Town events. We're going to be serving at the, the Starlighting. If you want to help with that, or we have a, a trip going to Central South America, for the Front Range Food Pantry, the local church, Wellspring, Kenya. You can see different ways that you can serve. There's all kinds of places you can serve. We're just saying some of the partners that we have and ways that you can get engaged. Now go to the next page. That's, that's our strategic part. That's our goal. What are we trying to raise? We're trying to raise $120,000 in six weeks. $120,000 in six weeks. Now I'm going to be real honest. I don't know if we can do it. We prayed about this and we discussed it as a team and we really felt like the Lord was saying, let's go after $120,000. Again, every penny goes outside of our walls. We don't keep a dime of it. But as we came up with that $120,000, we're like, man, we can bless incredibly these organizations but this week as I was praying about it and getting ready for this message, I, I just was wrestling with God. I'm like, God, I don't know. I mean, the booklets were already printed, so I guess I have to say it, but like, are you sure that's like what you were leading us to do? And God just said, where's your faith? Ernest, where's your faith? Because the money's there. We live in the wealthiest county in America. We were just voted number one. Number one wealthiest county in America. There's a new survey that just came out. And if you take away people's first mortgage, so you don't include the first mortgage, we have 20 million Americans who are now millionaires. In the last year and a half, some people have made a lot of money. 13% of families in our nation are millionaires. Take away the first mortgage. 
So some of you are like, man, I made a lot of my house. Take that out. We have a lot of millionaires. So the money's there. Some of you are like, ah, that's not me. That's me. That's me too. I wish I could bring that number up to 14% or whatever, but I'm not a millionaire. And so here's what we firmly believe. We don't believe in equal giving. So it's not if every person gave this amount, then we would reach our goal or surpass our goal. We don't believe in equal giving. We believe in equal sacrifice. Equal sacrifice. What's equal sacrifice? Okay, this is, this is gonna stretch me. This might hurt a little bit. I may not know where this is gonna come from. But to be an intentional neighbor, we have to walk through those three steps, right? We have to remember where we've come from. Remember that, I have to remember that everything I have is not because of how talented I am or what I've done really hard to work at things. It's because God has chosen to bless me, pure and simple. What I've been given has been given by God. The little bit and the lot, wherever we fall, it's been given by him. And then we have to ask the question, am I interruptible? And I, I, I not only ask that question in my, my personal life when it comes to my time, but I ask it in my financial life as well. Because I don't know about you, but I have plans for my money. Like I put my money certain places so I get a certain return on it. I've bought certain stocks so that I can see that increase and all of that. And, and as we've been praying for this, God's been going, Ernest, are you interruptible financially? You gonna let me do something in your own heart, in your family? And then are you willing to go the extra mile? The extra mile financially is not what can I do. As I've been praying this week, I'm like, oh, okay, what can I do? Like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And God's like, that's not even like a quarter of the first mile. Will you go the extra mile, Ernest? Are you willing to give above and beyond? Maybe what's comfortable for you or what you're used to so that I can use this to help others. Now, where's this money going? You can see all the different partnerships. It also is gonna include uh, every year we, uh, we do Thanksgiving and Christmas boxes uh, for those who are in need. So we, although we live in a very wealthy place, we also have a really, really high percentage of people who um, uh, are on subsidized meals at school. And so when those kids are on subsidized meals, they're getting fed at school. But what happens when they go on, on uh, Thanksgiving break or Christmas break, they don't have food. So for the last six, seven years of our church, we've stepped in and we've made those boxes for them. And we provided food not only for that kid, but their entire family, for the entire duration of that break. And so every dime that we raise is gonna help to provide those. I mean, what, how cool would it be to be able to say, hey guys, we've been able to help 300 families for Thanksgiving and Christmas who need it. That would be every family that we've ever had ask We'll be able to help all of them. What if we were to come to you and say, hey guys, we, we helped start five churches. We helped launch five churches. And these five churches helped see this many people come to know Christ. Imagine it, what we're able to do with this. But it's going to take not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. So if we're going to be intentional neighbors, it's not just about the money that we raise, but it's about the things that we do. Will you remember what God has done for you. While you were in captivity, while you were lost, while you were broken, while you were in need, our God stepped in and provided a way many times through the generosity of other people. Will you be interruptible? 
Will you be interruptible with your time, with your neighbor, with your coworker, the random guy who sits on the seat next to you on the plane? Will you be interruptible with your finances? I got plans for these things. I don't want to change these plans. Will you be interruptible? I'm sure the good Samaritan didn't go, man, I just have so much money in my pocket. Where can I use it? Oh, good, helping a guy. He was interruptible. And will you go the extra mile? Not just in your giving, but in your serving. I believe we do that, guys. We'll be a church that we're going to see transformation in this community. We'll be a church that we're going to be able to write some checks to some local organizations that are, are doing some incredible, incredible things. We're going to be able to see new people come to know Christ because of the churches that we help plant. We'll be able to do some things overseas in some different parts of the world. We'll be able to respond to tragedies immediately because of your generosity. So will you join me? Six weeks, love and action, ways to give are in this booklet as well. Take this with you. Pray about it. God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be a neighbor to those around me? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you for your word. I thank you so much for this story. I think this is a story that I remember hearing as a kid before I ever stepped foot in a church. But I had no clue that this story really is my story. God, how so many times I've been that priest or that Levite who's just walked around, who's been uninterruptible. I wasn't willing to help those, to love those, that there were limits to my love. But God, I want to be this intentional neighbor. And I know this entire conversation really starts with us first receiving your love, that that there's no way we can give your love without first receiving your love. And I know every single week, even last service, got three individuals here in the room, I don't know how many online, but said, and when I walked into this place, Ernest, to be real honest, man, I felt disconnected from God far from him. Maybe you've accepted Christ in your life. Maybe you never have, but today God is saying it doesn't matter what baggage you bring in. It doesn't matter what junk you're holding on to. It doesn't matter your past. That he displayed his great love for you on the cross. And today he's saying, come home. What does that mean? It means recognizing that we're all sinners. We're all separated from God because of that sin. But God's great love sent Jesus to the cross to die for us so that we can be forgiven of our sins and made new. And so if that's you, if you came into this place feeling far from God, disconnected from God, but you'd say, man, Ernest, today I feel like God's saying come home. If that's your first step, with every head bowed, eyes closed, if that's you, I just want you to raise a hand. And today I want to come home. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for these individuals. Thank you that you know their story, you know their name. If you're watching online, you're making that decision, you can just text the word follow to the number on the screen. We celebrate with you. In fact, the Bible says that anybody who's making this decision, that the angels are rejoicing right now. So we rejoice, God, in your salvation, in your mercy, in your grace in our lives, and we receive it. And then, God, for all of us, tell us what we're to do next. What's our next step in this conversation of being intentional neighbors? God, tell us what we're to do moving forward with our literal neighbor, with our coworker, with those we interact with, the baristas, the, the waiters and the waitresses, the service staff, God, the people that you place in our lives on a regular basis. 
God, also tell us what we're to do with love and action. God, I pray that you would move supernaturally on our hearts. God, you will move on our hearts to be able to give above and beyond what maybe we even think could be possible. May you show up in a powerful way. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.